Hey, my name is Akash Thakar, and this is Sound Business. This is the podcast where we dive into the mindsets and methods of some of the top musicians, sound designers, or audio creators in the world. We're going to interview everyone from plugin makers, performing musicians, video game composers, and everything in between, and learn how they run a successful business and how they're making a killer living in the worlds of music and sound. My hope with this podcast is that you can be exposed to the many myriad different ways there are to make a killer living in the worlds of music and sound, and help you realize that there's no one right way to get to the top. And with that, let's get into the episode. My guest today is Sigurd Jonk Jensen. Sigurd is an incredible guitarist, drummer, composer, and sound designer who's both toured professionally as a performing musician and has had an insanely successful career in having his music placed and licensed in movie trailers. His music has been featured in trailers for projects like Scream, House of Gucci, Marvel's Eternals, and so, so many others. In this interview, we talk about his musical upbringing, how important it is to just keep making stuff no matter what the results are, what the trailer music industry is like and how to work in it, how he went from writing music that never got placed into trailers to getting nonstop high-profile trailer music placements all the time, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Sigurd Jonk Jensen. Well, tell me about a time where you knew music would be a thing for you, where you knew, okay, this is what I want to do instead of being a lawyer or an accountant or something like that. Like, What was that time? Was there a decision? Was there a moment? Was there an album? What was that? Oh, man. Well, you could say that there's actually two times. The one time was when I was a kid, actually, when the whole music thing started. Because in the town I lived in, the local music uh, instrument store uh, was connected to this. I guess it was a, a car workshop or car dealership. So my, my dad had to uh, go in for some stuff in the car dealership, right? And I was sat in the car in the cold in the Danish weather um, <laughs> in front of this big window with this black, I guess it was a copy here of a, a Fender Stratocaster. <laughs> and and I was like, when he, when he came back, I just pointed at it and said, that's cool. I want that. <laughs> <laughs> so So that basically sparked the whole thing. And I guess he kind of liked the idea of me getting into music for whatever it would be, you know. And then a few years later, I had an absolute great uh, music teacher in America. It's elementary school. Mm -hmm. And he just gave all his time to us few people that liked doing music. So he locked up the music room in, in the breaks and, and he took time in his free time to make bands with us and stuff. And, and that's where I got the, the first feeling of being in a band. And, and I guess that's the point where my little weird brain went, this is what I want to do. <laughs> When you started telling people, like, this is what I want to do, was there any pushback or was everyone just like, cool, great, you got this? Like, what was that like? No pushback. Well, from, you know, from friends and, and stuff that don't really kind of get it when, when they don't have the passion, they're like, why don't you just become a, a teacher or a lawyer or something, right? But my parents, from day one, they, they never asked any questions. So that's awesome. I, I guess there wasn't really any kind of pushback. That's great. That's great. So like when that decision was made or when that kind of thought entered your head of like, oh, I'd like to do this full time. 
I imagine it wasn't always, oh, I'm going to do all these amazing licensing deals. Like that's not something someone in <laughs> elementary school or high school or whatever thinks about. So what was it? What was the thought in your head? What did you want to do? Was it touring? What was it? Oh, yeah. Touring, 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 touring. Even for people that don't do music, I guess it's the teenage dream, you know, to just tour the world. Um, which uh, luckily, when there's no pandemic going on, I, I still get to do uh, a few times a year. We I go through Europe with uh, some some bands, but but th that was the big dream, which eventually ended up being staying more at home. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of worked out in a weird way, but I'm I'm curious because like touring was something that I wanted to do first too. And that's how I kind of started in this world was drumming, touring drumming. So we have a lot of similarities in that. And what was that kind of first build up to those first gigs like? Was it just meeting people? Was it auditioning? Were just people you knew, bands that you happened to be in, happened to go on tour? How did that build up, that touring business? Oh, well, I guess I came home from boarding school it's basically just a year away from normal school where you live at the school and do stuff <laughs> and, and this one was uh, focused on uh, on theater and, and music and when i came home from that i was just browsing the web because i've had this great year full of a lot of great stuff a lot of great people and music and then suddenly nothing <laughs> <laughs> so i started uh, browsing the the mighty interwebs um you know for bands from the time when an internet forum was a thing <laughs> and and found a, a metal band and basically just went out into a very cold barn and started practicing metal in january <laughs> in big jackets because there was no heater of any kind <laughs> so so that that basically got me started in, in that whole thing and then you know young guys with passion for music started to get a few gigs here and there and through those gigs both me and the other guys in the band also got a new connections in in the music industry and started working with other bands and then stuff just escalated. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And somewhere in there, you were learning various instruments. You're in guitar, drums, and probably other things I don't even know that you play. You probably play everything. You're maybe one of those people. Uh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I started out on guitar at, at six with the, the Fender copy. <laughs> but then quickly, in the room with all the instruments in, in the school I went to, there was this big instrument that made a lot of noise if you hit it really hard so so that basically i i, I couldn't play it at all i still can't but <laughs> but i basically just it was well you know it you're, you're a drummer you get a certain kind of rush and energy just from hitting right. things it's great yes yeah it's like socially acceptable hitting of things basically yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so as you started touring, it was guitar, and I know you also toured with drums too. So, like, I'm so curious how you bridge that gap. How are you practicing both of these things while on tour, getting good at both of these instruments? What was that daily routine? Was there a daily routine? What did that look like? Wait, do you need to practice? Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, well, well, on tour, it can be a bit hard to practice. Sometimes when there's not too much travel, 
I can pull out a practice pad in in a hotel room, and if I need to practice guitar, it, it's basically just without an amp or an acoustic or something. But to return to the to the question, I, as practicing both instruments has never been uh, what do we say a, a task. Basically, when when I went to school, right before going to school, I had a guitar in my hand and. When I came home from school, it was just, what am I feeling? Maybe I pick up the sticks and maybe I pick up the guitar. It's, it's never been a, a chore. It was never hard and still isn't hard to get the motivation for practicing. Also because of modern YouTube <laughs> musicians being crazy and stuff and kids playing circles around you. Yeah. Just have to practice, right? Yes, there's no choice. <laughs> Absolutely, hundred <No>. percent. <laughs> so somewhere in there, during all that touring time, you're basically living out your childhood dreams. You were doing it. That was the thing. That's the thing every musician wants to do when they first start. Oh yeah. Somewhere in there, you said video game music sounds fun. Like, where did that come in? How did that happen? Well, I guess I have to go a bit back because it wasn't just video game music that started it was when the metal band i talked about when when we went into the first professional recording situation doing that i, I noticed i really liked creating things <laughs> so of course i i did and i still love playing live and, and all that but it was just tiny bit more awesome you know having the end product of something you you created out of basically nothing so having that spark that early and still just loving to create stuff and and basically not well i did know there was music in video games of course but i didn't think about it in that way but my cousin does a concept art for video games. And then suddenly one day, many years ago, <laughs> it's it suddenly just clicked. Wait, there are people making these games. <laughs> and and then then I basically just didn't even think about making it a career. I basically just became interested in so I, I tried to do very very bad remakes of <laughs> of of these uh, of these original soundtracks and found out that people are actually making money doing right. this stuff and then they kind of just started clicking this passion of creating things and starting to see some kind of more clear path towards something that could be a, a career not going away from touring but kind of having something you can mix together in, in some way and then actually the whole thing just took over and, and now i just write more than i tour but i actually like it like that so as you got into writing more and more did you do the same thing you did with guitar and drums you just kind of followed your interest and played around yeah completely completely i've always had kind of two big passions when when it comes to writing my own stuff or video game music or whatever it's either music that is sound design based you know big hybrid stuff you know the epic stuff everyone loves <laughs> <laughs> and and then horror uh, which is 
uh, basically just hitting stuff. It's just like playing <laughs> drums, you know. <laughs> if if it's not supposed to make a sound, use it. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, going into that and just experimenting, and it evolved from there. Yeah. So somewhere in there, though, you start to get projects like earlier, early on, like you start to get people saying, "Oh, I'd love for you to work on this thing." How did that start? Well. And and here it comes. I, I knew it was going to come at some point, but I watched a lot of your videos. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, I just started writing and then, of course, got interested in how the hell do I get into these? Because there's not this uh, golden path where you can do something magical or, or talk to someone special. And... and there's no public emails of any of these developers. If you Google it, it's just there's these sites that promise you to give you the email. Right. And then you sign up and then, well, what? They got a Yahoo email? That doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, I watched uh, a lot of your videos, both, both on, on the creative side with, you know, basic sound design and, and stuff, but also you had uh, these three to four minute long kind of business oriented small videos. They really helped oh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but basically to get back to the question, I, I guess I just spam emailed people. <laughs> <laughs> to bits <laughs> and, and then suddenly you know one guy answers and you get one gig and you do it over again <laughs> <laughs> yeah it just grows over time and how long has it been since you first sent those like emails oh my i guess actually when i think about it when I started trying to make it a business, not just from when I started writing, but when I tried to make it a business, it's been 2015, I guess. Nice. So it, nice. basically to, to normal standards, I guess it went pretty quick mm -hmm. somehow, but it was just relentless spamming right. of people. <laughs> <laughs> but then of, of course, when I got to know different people and somehow did some work that sounded good, they started recommending and, you know, then the word of mouth starts and then it's suddenly much easier to get any kind of gigs. Mm -hmm. That's how it all starts. Absolutely. And so what do you tell other musicians, like maybe musicians who are similar to you when you first started, they're just kind of wanting to get in either touring or video game music or film or anything like that. What do you tell them when it's, they're like, I can't find any work. I don't know how to do this. Like what's something that you would tell them for advice? Oh man, me giving advice, that can be a very bad question. <laughs> <laughs> well, firstly, they probably already are, but if we have to start with just the creative thing of, of making music, then only focus on what you're passionate about. Look at the kind of music that's coming out in video game soundtracks now. If you're into blistering eight-string guitar metal, there's a lot of games for that. Yes. <laughs> if you're into big orchestral pieces, that's a lot of game for that. <laughs> so so do what you're passionate about, or else you're basically just going to burn out trying to do everything. So mm -hmm. don't do that. Nowadays, I, I would say a, a kind message on Twitter or Instagram can get you very far. And don't ask for a gig in the first message. Just don't. <laughs> so you try, try to get a conversation going. That's basically what, what I got for that. Yeah. Because as I said earlier, there's, sadly, there's no golden rule to, to do this. It's so much based on 
knowing each other personally and networking and but those years of networking will pay off in the end Mm -hmm. patience patience yes yes that is that is super key is there any time in your career it could be in any aspect of it where you thought like this isn't working i want to quit like was there a time where you wanted to say you needed that patience or was it already kind of always there well I, I think I would be lying if I said it. It hasn't been there at some point. You know, the, the, there will always be that point where you're sitting in the dark, <laughs> no more coffee, and just <laughs> thinking out loud, why, why am I doing this? Yeah. You've sent a hundred emails and no one bothered to answer. And, but at those points, you just have to keep on because you you could be sending a hundred emails without answer, but it could be one hundred and one that get you to work at Blizzard or something. You know, totally. it's never never ever give up on whatever you're doing because you simply don't know what's happening tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally true. It it could be a, a game changing moment tomorrow, but then you quit today. Right. So just don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's true. The the people who kind of stick to it for long enough are are rare in a way. It's it's hard to find enough people who stick to it for long enough. Because it's hard. It's really freaking hard. Because they're like you said, there are those dark moments. And have you found uh for those kind of downtimes, because they happen to all of us, is there anything that you do to get through it? Or have you found any techniques or thoughts or processes that you go through? Well, the last couple of years, I have gone a lot into, well, much more into personal fitness and calisthenics and stuff like that. And that combined with more mindful stuff like yoga and breath work can get you through a lot and also prevent a lot of negative stuff. I always think it like... If your body is fit, your brain is fit. And if your brain is fit, your body is fit, basically. If you keep yourself in check, uh, you you can get through the most. It's true. It's easier to deal with all that rejection and stuff when you feel good, right? It's way easier. Yeah. If you're treating yourself bad and those rejections just keep coming in, then you're going to have a bad time. (laughs) (laughs) 100 percent. so as this all started continuing you know you're working on games you're working on film it started to grow at some point music licensing came into the picture i want to hear how you started getting into that like how you dipped your toe into it (laughs) i did the magical how do you make money on music on google Uh, and it's not (laughs) it's not even a lie Uh, and this guy uh, maybe you've seen some of his videos he's quite big on YouTube, uh, Alex Mokala. Oh yeah, he's great. Yeah, he he popped up on one of those searches, and it wasn't even one of those you know I'm down under searches. It was basically just a curiosity search, I guess, just to find other ways of doing it. And he came up with this video where he talked about you know five different re- ways to blah 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 blah, and one of them was trailer music. Basically, just music fitted for trailers. And I was thinking, well, doesn't the guy doing the film do that? And then I started researching it and and found out that there's a whole business just revolved around trailers only. And the amount of sync fees you get for just one trailer can be life-changing sometimes. 
And then I started writing for that and found out that I did really bad. <laughs> but no, not really that bad. But the thing about trailer music is that it's, it's advertising for big movies. So you have to make Hollywood great music and productions mixed and mastered to the absolute best for, for landing those Marvel trailers and whatever is coming out. So I basically sent out to a lot of these publishers that work with these trailer houses that edits the trailers and got rejected um, <laughs> a lot of times. But there was one publisher that said, this is clearly not good enough, but we are willing to give you some notes if you're willing to do some serious work on them. And uh, I did a lot of hours on that. And uh, after many, many versions, and I'm not even kidding when we're talking version 50, uh, <laughs> I nailed it and, and got one track on one of these albums they release to, to pitch for these trailers. And then actually, I, I kind of, for almost a year, I stopped focusing on video games entirely, uh, simply just because I got so curious what you could do with this. So I just worked a lot on, on trailer music basically and then suddenly got to sign with some new publishers and of course got better with the amount of hours that got put in and then uh, doing trailer music I, I started getting some placements and started to get some of these other composers uh, to know and started talking to them and, and so on and then also got into more uh, standard production music for, for TV and, and, and so on. So basically started focusing entirely only on music for, well, basically sync licensing uh, and focusing on trailers, but then doing some TV stuff in the off time. And then suddenly out of nothing, uh, I got some offers for, for some video games and I guess I'm back in it again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now I'm, I'm basically, my big passion, when it comes to all this, is video games. But I, I don't want, and, and this is probably going to sound a bit rude or wrong, but I, I don't want to do a lot of weird games. I, I, I just, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I honestly, I, I try to keep it to one or two really great titles, and then I do trailer and production music in between. Yes, and, and that seems to be uh, both a creatively a good thing to do, but also financially. It's much more stable than, than having to wait for the next great title soundtrack, you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm all about uh, doing the right thing instead of just doing the fun thing all the time. Nice. I think there's something really important to what you said because you kept following your interest from touring to video game music to uh, trailer and sync music and then back to video games. There's like nothing wrong with that, but there's a common belief where everyone thinks, oh, now this is all I do and I'm never going to touch anything ever again. Like now that I'm a touring drummer, that's it. This is my life. I'm never going to try anything else. But you're a perfect example of how important and smart it is to kind of follow that interest. You don't have to just stay at one thing. No, no. And life is way too short to just do one thing, man. You know, I, I completely stole this from Gary Vaynerchuk. 
because I'm I'm a, I'm a nutcase about that dude. Um, <laughs> but actually, when he he said uh, this sentence, I, I I totally got into the mindset of it. There's nothing more scary than being ninety, sitting there with no time left and regretting you didn't do anything. After he said that, that became my worst nightmare. <laughs> so, so I basically just started doing everything. If, if I get an idea tomorrow, I'm just going to do it because who cares? Yes. And that's what I've noticed a lot of like people who are making a living off of music do. It's very much following the thing instead of being scared and not doing anything because it's, you know, it's hard or you're new to it or whatever. Yeah. And, and also, if you succeeded in video game music or trailer music, then why wouldn't you succeed in another thing? Because you clearly have the discipline and, and the work ethic to get it done. So just do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing can feed into the other perfectly. Now, I'm curious, uh, because for trailer music and licensing and all that sort of stuff, the business for a lot of people is really kind of kind of obscured. It's hard to know how that works. So can you give a brief overview? Like, do you just send e emails to publishers and say, here's my music and then sit back and money comes like, how does that work? <laughs> I know that's not how it works, but for the audience. But damn, it would be great. <laughs> oh, it'd be nice. <laughs> okay, let's let's do trailer music because it works so weirdly. I, I can't even imagine stuff happens. But let's say that Universal is doing another movie about something. They need to advertise this movie, of course. So they send a brief out uh, what the movie is about, uh, and, and you know the whole storyline and stuff. They send that out to these trailer houses, uh, which are basically the places that edit all the trailers, and they are scattered out around all of Los Angeles and a few other places. But LA is kind of the main place, you know. And these houses, and there are hundreds of these trailer houses, and they all get a brief. All these trailer houses then send a, another brief out to all these publishers that publish uh, the music that we do. And there are hundreds of those too. Of course, some of the, the trailer houses ha have some preferred publishers that they work with, of course. And then the publishers either A, pitch some of the music that the composers have already written because we just constantly write these albums so there are music already to pitch when the briefs comes in or they can decide to do what is called a, a custom where they they ask a few of their composers maybe some of the best composers uh, or the ones that are quickest to compose good material uh, they say hey we are doing spider-man you can use the theme, it needs a lot of drums and sound design and so on. And then they basically pitch that back to the trailer house. And all these trailer houses pitch a trailer to Universal. And it's a miracle <laughs> you get a placement. It's so weird, man. There are literally, without even exaggerating it, there's, there are thousands of music tracks involved in one trailer pitch. So... The fact that you've land anything is just weird. But with that said, when you land a trailer, let's say a Spider-Man trailer, one placement can easily be six figures. So that's kind of where trailer music starts to become fun, right? And there are also luck 
involved, of course, but it's basic math. The more music you have out there, the more placements you are going to get of your music. And some of them are just small sound design placements. Sometimes they take just the stems from the drums and you place your drums from a track and the rest of the track is not used. But, but every kind of placement has different kind of a money outcome, of course. But if you land a full track in a big trailer, you're, you're set for half a year easily. So that's the fun part. So is there a not fun part or a really heavy work part where you're just writing, 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 and you have no idea where it's going to go? Like, what's that process like? Well, there are, of course, some that are either just really good or really lucky or a combination and get some placements right away. It happens. It happens. But the hardest part about trailer music, I guess, is the first couple of years because the publishers keep asking you for music, but you see nothing in return. Of course, you know it's, it gets pitched because why would the publisher have you make it if it doesn't get used? But the first two years, you're probably not going to see much. Maybe a single small placement or something. Because all these editors and trailer houses have gazillion tracks and all old tracks involved. And they get new tracks every week. They get a new album, right? So they have to get through all the tracks and find out what they like and what works and what they edit for and, and what the point of the edit is. So you just have to get your tracks out there and don't let it get you down when you're doing this because it, music for licensing is, that's the long game plan. It, it has to be, you're not going to see anything the first couple of years, probably. And how do you find out about something like getting placement for Eternals or something big like that or House of Gucci? Like, do they just email you and go, like, you did it? Yeah, actually, <laughs> the publisher just sends an email. Hey, your track, blah, 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 got placed in blah, blah, blah. And the sync fee is blah, blah, blah. The thing about that then is because the whole chain of people involved in this is extremely big, then from you get word about your placement that can easily also be a three to four five six months wait before you get your fee basically so so that's why also you have to consider those first couple of years because even if you get a placement that's a long time before the money comes but then when you start to get regular placements and you are a place where some of the money starts to come in it's a much more regular happening and then that's when the business starts to get good. And also some of these publishers work with sub-publishers, which is just they're probably smaller publishers under them, uh, which work with TV uh, and so on. So some of these tracks also go into TV and you get some royalties down the line. So, But, uh, but licensing, it's a long game. If, if you're going into that, it's, you have to think about that. Yeah, totally. And it's good. Like you have multiple kind of things going on. So you're not completely dead when no trailers are happening. Exactly. But that's also the good thing about doing music for licensing, whatever kind of licensing business it is. Because if I have two months of downtime or whatever game, I know a game title is coming up, but we're not working on music before summer or something. Then I know, okay, I can get some tracks 
done and get them out to the to the whole industry. And and when you get faster, that you can easily without compromising quality, you can do a quick track in three, four, five hours, basically. Not if it's big orchestral arrangements, then a bit more time and mixing and, and so on. But but a more sound design based music and horror, and so where there is kind of this clear arrangement of how and when you give a scare and when you give big hits and atmosphere, it's a, you can get a lot of tracks done. So when the game work starts to come around, it's basically passive income while you're working on that. So it's about using your downtime wisely. Yeah, I love that. So when you are kind of in those zones where you're writing music to just throw out to the industry for licensing and all that. Are there trends you're watching? Are you thinking about, okay, these movies might be coming out this year, or are you just thinking, I'm going to write some horror tracks, someone's going to pick them? Like, how are you thinking about what to make? I like to to watch trailers now and then, because some trailers are very on point on what's trending, and some are just doing the good old big epic piece, you know. And also, it's a bit hard to predict what's going to be the trend in half a year, but you kind of have to guess sometimes. But of course, these trailer publishers also work a lot on what's the trend probably going to be because they, they talk to, to these trailer houses that edit the trailers all the time, you know, because everybody want to land the trailer. So, so everybody makes money, right? So they kind of always figure out what, what you have to do and and then, of course, there's also the whole thing about in August, you you tend to do some Christmas-based music, and then you get to December, and, and you start doing the big summer hits, you know, and you get around summer or early summer, and you start working on horror for October and stuff, you know. So there's this clear cycle all year round where, where you, you kind of know what's coming on, but... But it's basically just talking to your publisher and, and figure out what's a good idea to start nail down. And then, of course, there are always, for me, doing a horror album of these tracks is basically just a passion project. I get to make weird noise, so it's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I just do a whole album without even talking to one of the publishers I work with. And I just say, hey, I got an album. You want it? Here it is. <laughs> I love that. But, but then again, it's, it's also about if you do uh, one of these albums just without any purpose at all, then they might not be interested because they're focused on Christmas stuff now, but then hide it away on hard drive and wait for horror season to come and boom, you already got an album. So it's just st staying busy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure you, after people have listened to you, people are now like, I want to do this too. I want to get in on trailer music. So what sorts of things do you tell them? Like, where do, where should they learn about all these little niggling things? Like, okay, if you want to pitch for December, go like start thinking about it in August. Where are the publishers? Who are they? Like, how do you email them? How do you pitch? Like, where do you recommend they start learning about the basics of this? Okay. Well, there's this guy on YouTube called uh, Richard Schreiber. And he does a lot of talks about this and he also did some youtube videos going through some tracks i also did <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and i just you know 
shameless self-promotion. Uh, I'm also going to do much more video content on this exact topic um, during this year when I have the time. But to get back to the question right here now, it's, there's a lot of content on YouTube. Start searching how to trail music. Boom, you got a lot already. And then you, on YouTube also, you can just type in whatever trailer and Spider-Man trailer music. And every single trailer track used in a recent Spider-Man trailer is also posted there. So start listening to these tracks and figure out how they're built because every trailer track, even different genres, is built in the exact same way. You start out small and end up ridiculously big. Like it's, it's over the top. I actually think that's why I kind of fell in love with trailer music because it's basically <laughs> cinematic music's version of rock and metal. You just get to be loud and obnoxious all the time, right? <laughs> so figure out how trailer tracks are, are built, basically, because once you got the structure, you don't have to focus on that anymore because the structure is incredibly simple. It's like a pop song. It's the same every time. <laughs> And after that, start writing and work a lot on your production and mixing skills because it's normally not the composition that gets rejected by publishers. It's the production because you simply have to make cinema-ready music in your bedroom or whatever you're working in, right? And some of these biggest trailers, uh, I know a, a big Marvel trailer that came out last year is made in a 4x4 bedroom, right? Love On it. headphones. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So it's not the gear at all. It, you really have to practice production. And when you think it's good enough, don't send it to a publisher. Find a composer uh, that does trailer music and ask them kindly in an Instagram DM if they would listen to the music, and I am sure they will. I would. If anyone asked me, I would listen and, and give some feedback because I would have loved that when I started out. So when another trailer composer says you're ready, then email a publisher. And don't expect any answer within a month because they have so much going on it's extreme i've seen one of their inboxes once nope <laughs> <laughs> so don't get your head down if, if you don't get an answer and then of course there is the thing that maybe they are not looking for a big epic orchestral piece right now but they might put you in a folder that says this dude does some weird orchestral stuff <laughs> remind for later right and then suddenly, half a year down the line, you suddenly get an email. Hey, you want to do something for this album we're doing? It's just like video games. It's all about networking and getting to know these people. I love it. That's amazing advice to start wrapping up on. So I'm going to ask you some questions I ask everybody in these episodes. So first up, I'm curious right now, in your, at this point in your career, what do you focus on learning? Like, what is the thing that you're like, oh, that's what I want to get good at or learn about or try? It doesn't even have to be music related, actually. Oh, man. I'm getting back into martial arts. But, but that comes down to I'm, I'm a whole freak about yoga and calisthenics and stuff. So it, it fits perfectly into all that. And inside music, I guess I am 
I'm always trying to up my production on everything. Uh, if it sounds better, it can only be better for whatever you're trying to do, right? But I, I, I guess what I'm working on musically right now is more orchestral-based arrangements. That, that's what I'm practicing a lot right now, you know, because when, when you do trailer music, for example, it's really basic. Nothing fancy because you, you don't want to pull anything away from the footage, right? It's just there to be epic and big. So I'm trying to study a lot of John Williams and trying to remake a lot of his stuff because he does some weird stuff with woodwinds and I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's so good. I love it. And so a question that I ask everybody is when you were first starting out, in your career, music life, whatever it could have been when you saw the guitar in the in the shop window, how did you kind of define success? And that starting point could be anywhere. And now, at this point in your life and career, how do you define it, and how has that changed over time? I guess when I started, you know, having the teenage dream of touring before I got to go out on tour and experience what a horrific thing it is. then i guess you know like every teenager you know fame and having fun and and the usual stuff so that would probably have been my teenage dream success just touring and being famous and having fun and then adult life hits and (laughs) i think the most important thing is is basically downline being happy with whatever you're doing because if, if you're not happy then how the hell is your music going to be good you know <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah wake up happy and go to bed happy and then everything's good i love it that's great and final question where can people find you plug anything you want youtube instagram website anything okay so instagram and facebook is basically just sigurd the music dude <laughs> And that's S-I-G-U-R-D, and then the music dude. And Twitter didn't allow that, so that's Sigurd, and then JJ, just the letters, JJ. YouTube, it's my full name, Sigurd Jung Jensen. Uh, and there's a Danish letter on that, so that's a great idea, right? <laughs> but but I guess uh, it, it can be put somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's basically where I'm at. I'm not on TikTok and all that. I'm I'm not that good of a dancer at all. So <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. This was so so good and so fun. Thank you for having me, man. This was great. That's the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening as always. And considering I work in the world of video game, music, and sound, and so many people are always asking me how they break into that field, I have a newsletter set up for you. So if you want to learn how to make music and sound effects for video games and actually be paid to do it, just go to bit.ly forward slash soundbizpod. Sound B-I-Z pod. And that newsletter will set you up with two free courses and a bunch of free ebooks and even sound effects that'll get you set up and teach you how to work in the world of video game music and sound. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. 
And if you're looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to, this podcast is actually a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. So if you want to check those out, hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.